So today we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and we come, we come to Jesus's uh, just a couple verse here, a couple verses teaching about uh, marriage and divorce. And uh, you know we've we've been born into an era where we've seen public opinion turn largely against what we would call biblical marriage, and uh, the definition of marriage, what it represents, has really become so distorted that it's, it's become somewhat of a, a mockery. I've, I've, we've all read the stories. There, there's this one woman who had a ceremony where she married herself. Uh, another, another woman married a bridge. Uh, a couple years ago, I read about a woman who was uh, planning to marry a ghost. It, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really quite sure how that works. But, uh, you know, many many people have just completely scrapped the whole idea of uh, marriage and decided that, uh, you know, we'll be free spirits. We'll just, we'll just do whatever we want, live with whoever we want, uh, when we want, uh, refusing to, uh, to make a commitment. I don't see a good future in that. And, you know, you might think that it would have been better to live in a different era. I've heard people say this before, you know, it would have been good maybe to live in the 1800s, you know, I've seen a little house on the prairie and things like that. But, you know, it was uh, during the 1800s that one religious cult sprang up and, and adopted uh, plural marriage, polygamy. Uh, have you heard of the Oneida colony in, in uh, New York State? Uh, they, they practiced what they called complex marriage where every person was married to every other person in the community. Um, well, actually, that's wrong. It was every man was married to every woman. Every man was married to every woman. And, uh, you know, we'd like to look back and say, well, you know, the, the 60s, that, that's the generation where it all fell apart. I don't think so. You know, the 60s didn't, didn't happen in a vacuum. I think by, by the time the 60s came around, uh, the, the problem had really develop pretty deep roots. We live in a, a broken world, a, a sinful world. And uh, marriage, and particularly the, the topic of divorce and, and remarriage, is a, is a touchy, difficult subject. Because it, it touches a lot of us deeply. And a lot of us uh, have, have experienced a lot of pain, whether it was our, ourselves or maybe our parents or somebody else in our family, maybe, maybe good friends. And I, th- I think it's going to be difficult to say all that needs to be said in, in a half an hour, you know, the time that it takes to, uh, to preach a sermon. But I hope, to, I hope we can lay out some, some biblical groundwork, general principles. And uh, each, each person's situation is, is unique. That, that's what makes this um, pretty difficult. Each, each person, each couple, each, each situation needs to be looked at individually. And, uh, you know, I may raise more questions than I provide answers for, for today. So, uh, you know, it's a big topic. Uh, this is the ground we're going to cover, though. And in this sermon... If you feel like uh, I've, I've left things unanswered, you need clarification, let's, let's talk. Let's talk. That, 
That's the preface here. And I know that there's, uh, there are some people in this room that, that have been divorced. Uh, some have remarried. Uh, there, there's just a, a mixture of uh, circumstances here. And, you know, I, I hope we can look at this with uh, integrity and, and conviction, but also love and compassion. Uh, why? Because God is a redemptive and a compassionate God. And I know there's much pain involved in divorce, and, you know, it's still, it still hurts. Years later, decades later, people still feel the, the pain. And, uh, you know, m- many would say that marriage is, is an outdated institution. I've heard that a lot. But we'll see in, D- in Jesus' teaching that marriage uh, has been there since the beginning, since, since the first two people God created, Adam and Eve. God invented marriage. He created marriage. And it's, it's an essential plan of his... Uh, or essential part of his, his original plan for, for humanity. And uh, marriage is as relevant now, profoundly relevant now, as, as it was in the beginning. God cares about marriage. He cares very, very deeply about marriage. And as we look at today's text, I'd like to center around three biblical principles. First of all is that marriage is important to God. Second, we need to be peacemakers in our marriages. And third, that God is merciful and compassionate. And so I've got, we've got two verses in uh, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to cover today. Uh, Matthew 5, 31 through 32. But we're also going to look at a passage in the uh, 10th chapter of Mark. Kind of a parallel passage. Let's read uh, Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's let's look at uh, the the passage in Mark. It's... um, 10th chapter of Mark, starting with with verse 1. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and he's returning to Judea, and and he's going to teach the crowds here. So Mark 10, 1, he left there and went to the land of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as it was his custom, he, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce, certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And they said to him, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she she commits adultery. He said that to them. 
Well, the Pharisees are once again here in this, this passage in Mark trying to trick Jesus. They did this by bringing up this uh, topic, which was very controversial at, at the time. They asked him, uh, you know, what's, what's allowed for divorce? What, what would be a, a legal divorce? Remember in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus is, is talking about the law and how we, you know, many times we feel like, well, we're good. We're following the law. We're following the rules. But Jesus says, you know what? We need to take it up a notch, more than a notch, and look at the heart. God cares about what's in our heart. And in, in Mark 10, when they ask this, uh, is, it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Notice how Jesus doesn't allow himself to be drawn into this, this controversy. He goes to the, the very heart of the issue. He talks about how God views marriage. You know, Jesus said, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're, missing the, you're missing the point here. Let's go back to first principles. And the first principle is this, that God cares about marriage. Marriage is very important to God. So from the beginning, with the very first two people on earth, marriage has been one man and one woman. They'll both leave their families and become one. The two will become one flesh, it says. God has joined these two together. This is God's plan for marriage. Again, God God created marriage. He invented marriage. It's not something that the sociologists, you know, the social anthropologists will say, well, marriage was something that just kind of came together as societies uh, started to, to form, uh, you know, structures for, for stability, you know, that it's just kind of something that, that happened sociologically. No, God created marriage. It's not a human innovation. God's the author of marriage, and we need to keep that in mind. Now, after God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <laughs> Jesus quoted that. In the Old Testament, we, we also see the importance of marriage because God uses it as a, a picture, a, a metaphor for God's relationship with his people. You know, God in the Old Testament is, is called the husband of, of his people. In Isaiah 54, 4, it says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And in the Old Testament, you know, over and over again, we see God's people being unfaithful to, to God worshiping false gods and, and idols. And, and when they do, God is grieved and he, he likens it. In fact, he calls it adultery. It's spiritual adultery. And in the New Testament, the picture is of Christ and his bride, the, the church. You know, Jesus, the bridegroom, the, the church, his, his bride. In Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about how husbands and wives should relate to each other. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. We're going to read this. Listen to how he pictures the marriage relationship in terms of Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ did for the church, or does the church, because we are members of his body. And here's this quote again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I love this, Paul says, this mystery is profound. Who can understand this? This mystery is profound. But I'm saying, he, he, he goes on to say that it refers to Christ and the church. Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And of, of this passage, uh, John Piper says the deepest meaning of marriage is to display the covenant-keeping faithfulness of Christ and his church. And Christ will never divorce his wife and take another. So marriage is holy in the sight of God. So, you know, is it, is it any wonder that, that adultery is especially egregious to, to God? When we get married, we take vows. We make, it, we make a vow with, with another person. We vow in the presence of God. We vow in the presence of, of those who are with us, the presence of others. And God takes these vows seriously, and, and we also need to. You know, the traditional wedding vow to, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do us part. Uh, that reflects biblical principles that, that go back to creation. So marriage has a very special significance in, in the eyes of God, very, very special significance in the Bible. God's plan from the beginning was for marriage to be between one man and one woman. To form a bond, to become united as, as one, to, to have and to hold uh, in, our, in our wedding vows uh, till death do us part. Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man separate. And, you know, we, need to, we need to take those vows seriously when we get married. We need to, uh, we need to keep in mind this, this, these, are, these are solemn, holy vows that, that we make. And the problem is we don't always do well with keeping our, our vows. Now, God gives us principles to live by in his word. One of these principles is that uh, we need to be peacemakers. Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the, the sons of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12.10 said this, outdo one another in showing honor. 
That's a good. That's a good one for us to memorize. It's very easy to remember. Very difficult to honor. <laughs> Outdo one another in showing honor. Could you imagine what effect it would have in all our marriages if, if we just followed this one command? Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, I've. I've heard it said, in fact, I've said this myself, I I don't believe it anymore, but I've heard people say that marriage is the art of compromise. And uh, that kind of sounds good on the the surface, you know, give and take. I don't think it goes far enough, though. You know, compromise entails a a 50-50 principle, right? You give 50%, I give 50%. But it falls apart because we also say, I'll take 50% and you take 50%. And then both partners feel like, well, I'm giving 90 and they're only giving 10. So the husband says that and the wife says, yeah, I'm giving 90 and he's only giving 10. You know, and there's that, that conflict that, that happens. How about we change that and say that a good marriage is 100, 100. Give 100%. And if both partners do that, I think we'll be obeying that command. Outdo each other in showing honor. But too many of us don't apply these principles. And uh, sadly, the outcome of of selfishness and hard-heartedness, many times divorce. And uh, sent... I've heard it said that, you know, since in marriage God joins two people together and they become one flesh, divorce is like an amputation. It has long effects, lifelong effects. And Jesus told the Pharisees that divorce is not in God's plan for marriage. He said, Moses allowed this as a concession because of your hard hearts said that to the Pharisees because of hard-heartedness. In other words, you know, it's because of people's inability to keep their marriage vows, their covenant vows that because of that, they're, they're unable to live at peace with, with their spouse. And in Mark chapter 3, uh, do you remember the religious leaders were upset because Jesus had he'd healed a man on the Sabbath? He'd, he'd broken the, the Sabbath, and Jesus says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to save life or kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. You know, hard-heartedness is something that we all suffer from, I believe, many times. It's, it's something that grieves God. You know, a hard heart is impenetrable. You can't get through to a person with a hard heart. You know, that person doesn't respond to, uh, to reason, doesn't respond to, to love, doesn't respond to uh, compassion. And God is grieved when people get divorced because of hard hearts. You know, marriage involves making a lifelong covenant with someone, and breaking that covenant is, is a sin against the spouse and it's a sin against God. And by way of background, when, when Jesus was, was walking the earth at this time, there was a running controversy within Judaism on what are the legal grounds of divorce. 
And there were two rabbis that, that represented two different positions. And it was, a, 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 it was based on a disagreement between uh, these two rabbis and how to interpret a passage in uh, Deuteronomy 24.1, which says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, that she departs out of the house. This, this was that concession that, that uh, Moses had made, writing a certificate of divorce. And so these, these Pharisees were saying, well, fine, I'll write a certificate of divorce. You know, what, what's the ground of this? And there were two different, two ma- major views. They were all in agreement that the Old Testament permitted a man to write a certificate of dismissal and divorce. And that remarriage was, was therefore sanctioned. But the two rabbinical schools of Shemai and Hillel differed on the grounds of divorce. Shemai was much more stricter than Hillel and permitted divorce only in the case of sexual immorality. Hillel permitted divorce for any reason. The words in the uh, ESV from which I read, the words translated as some indecency in the original Hebrew literally means a thing of nakedness. And uh, that's an idiom that really means a cause for impurity, a cause of impurity. And Hillel interpreted this very loosely and advocated for divorce for any cause. And by the, by the first century, this any cause divorce was the most widely used divorce. A, a man could divorce his wife just for the simple matter of she... Or he, you know, she doesn't please him anymore. Maybe she, he doesn't like the way she keeps house. Maybe, maybe she annoys him. Maybe she uh, doesn't cook well. Any cause, any cause. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? And interestingly enough, this was the grounds that that Joseph was going to divorce uh, Mary on because he wanted to spare her of being accused of, of sexual immorality. And at the same time, in Roman culture, if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he could just leave. There's no protection for the woman. He could send her out of the house. And he could do this without providing any reason. And he could come back and reclaim her at any time in the house. You know, it seems to me that things are pretty much uh, the same as they were in Jesus' day. Uh, Mark's account is kind of abbreviated. Uh, in Matthew 19, though, Matthew includes a little more information. Uh, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They were asking about this any cause divorce. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And Mark's account includes information that uh, Mark, I believe, assumes that the reader will know. 
so, you know, we'll see how, uh, you know, the Pharisees are referring to this any cause divorce controversy. Jesus is saying essentially, no, the Deuteronomy passage should not be interpreted for any cause. It should be interpreted for uh, adultery or sexual immorality. And there, there are a few points we need to consider here. Uh, first of all, it's important to know that divorce is not required in the case of adultery, but it's allowed. You know, so if, you're, if your spouse does something, commits adultery, it's not required. In Malachi, God says God hates divorce. And also, um, you know, we need to acknowledge the, the possibility of uh, domestic abuse. You know, if, that, if that's happening, the abused spouse really needs to, uh, to seek safety immediately. You know, God hates divorce, but he also hates violence. And for those who are not married, we don't want to enter marriage lightly. Never enter marriage lightly. We should enter it with wisdom. We should enter it with, with our eyes open. Really need to marry a believer. You know, when, when two become one, not only is it a, a, a physical oneness, but it's a spiritual oneness. And at your deepest core, which is your faith, you need to be in agreement. You know, this, this really needs to be the, uh, the basis of your union. It will not work well if one person is a believer and the other is not. And I've seen that come into play time after time. The marriage covenant should not be taken lightly. And, you know, there's, there's a reason we make these vows before God and, and others. God takes the marriage vows seriously. We should too. If a marriage is in trouble, we, we need to be peacemakers. Romans twelve seventeen through 18 is, is addressed to all relationships, but it you know, especially applies in marriages. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, each, each of us needs to, to fight for our marriage. And finally, we need to realize that God is merciful and God is compassionate. You know, he, he knows our weaknesses. He knows each of our individual situations. You know, it's his desirable. It's his, it's his desire that uh, we, we live in peace with, with everyone. And God promises that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, you know, one question that always comes up concerns those who've been divorced and remarried. You know, should someone who is remarried get a divorce? We've seen this come up. In, in our own family, we've, we've, we've seen this asked, and, and we've seen people have really struggled with this. You know, can, can God provide redemption in such a case? 
Can he can he bless this this remarriage? You know, he, he sure seems to do so. Uh, he sure seems to do so with the other sins we commit. Does he not? But this shouldn't be taken lightly. You know, the, the answer I would give is, uh, you know, if you're in a marriage now, honor that marriage. Honor that marriage. Ask for God's forgiveness. And rest in the fact that you're forgiven for past sins if you do. This, this marriage deserves the attention that you can give it. Love and honor your wife or husband. Live in peace. You, you have scars. You have pain. God knows that. And he, he knows that you and others live with, with the consequences of, of past sin. But he's faithful and he's just to forgive us. Our God's a God of redemption. So, you know, that some people will say, oh, okay, then there's, there's a loophole for me maybe. You know, I can, I can divorce my wife and remarry and I'll be okay because I can ask for forgiveness. You know, that kind of thinking is uh, grievous to God. That's, that's sinful. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, in fact, addresses that kind of reasoning in Romans five nineteen through 6, 2. He says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteousness. righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin such that, so that grace will abound? And Paul's answer to that is, by no means. I think uh, King James says, God forbid. You know, it's the strongest. No, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So, God's a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of redemption. And, uh, you know, the reality is that uh, most of us, if not all of us, have been touched by, by divorce in one way or another. Um, many in this church come from families with, with a history of divorce. Some here have been divorced. Some have been remarried. Um, and you, some of you might have had experiences with churches that were very uh, condemnatory and made you feel like you're second class that God doesn't love you as much as he loves the rest of us um, but I don't think I don't think that's true. I don't think there's a second class in the kingdom of God. You know, God can take a bad situation, a painful situation, and use it for his purposes. He can use it for his glory. He, he can take a flawed person, and that would be me and all of us, and make us new. He, he takes broken people and he makes us useful in his body. And according to Leviticus 3.22, his mercies are new every morning. 
You know, no person, no situation is, is beyond his redemption. Something I'd like to point out is when we look at Jesus' genealogy, and God makes the Holy Spirit makes a special point of this. Matthew includes some really interesting in, information. He points out that there's three women, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, who were in the lineage from which Jesus came. Our, our Savior was, was born through this, this genealogy, through this lineage. Well, Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a, uh, a heathen. She was a Moabitess. She was a, a Gentile. Bathsheba was an adulteress. Bathsheba bore Solomon through David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba. David committed murder. This is the bloodline from which our Savior, the, the Messiah, was, was born. Talk about redemption. You know, and the, the Holy Spirit inspired this to be in that, that genealogy for us to take note of, for us to see. God redeemed this bloodline, and he chose it, scandals and all, to, to bring us our Messiah, King Jesus. Um, so, God values marriage. He values it very highly. It's, it's holy to him. Biblical principles apply to marriage, and we see over and over again that we are to be peacemakers in all our relationships, I think especially in, in our marriages. Uh, being a peacemaker requires us to be active in seeking peace, fighting for peace. It requires us to put our needs below other people's needs. It requires us, as far as it is up to us, to live at peace with all others, especially our husbands and wives. <laughs> you know, reconciliation and, and restoration should, should always be the goal of peacemaking. Jesus says that divorce happens because of hard-heartedness, and, and sadly, uh, marriage vows are broken by one spouse out of a hard heart. Sometimes reconciliation is not an option and uh, the marriage is broken. This grieves God. It, it grieves us. Especially grievous to the one who's been wronged. But thankfully God is merciful. He knows our pain. He, he knows and there, there are biblical allowable grounds for divorce, specifically uh, adultery by, a, by an unfaithful spouse, uh, desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians. And in these cases, divorce is allowed, though not required. And reconciliation is always the best option. We need, we need to be peacemakers. And we need to embrace God's grace above all. We ourselves need to pour out grace on others who, who have stumbled. It's God's will for us to live in peace and to be at peace. Peace with God, peace with, with others, peace with our wives and our husbands. We also need to make peace with our past. You know, some, some wounds take a lot of time to heal. 
We know that. And again, um, you know, a sermon like this, people might pick out little bits and pieces of, of what I said and say, uh, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong. I hope, I hope we can take the, the full counsel of, of God's word into consideration here. And, you know, it, I'm always, my door's always open if you want to talk about it. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, our, our Father, we, we thank you for, uh, for this institution of marriage, Lord. And I pray that all of us who are, are married would live with our spouses, our husbands and wives, in, in love and in peace. Uh, Lord, that we would live according to, to your plan for us. And uh, Lord, you know what failures we all are. Uh, you know our hearts. You know that our hearts are, are hard and cold many times. We've all failed. We've failed you. We've failed our spouses. We've failed our children. But Lord, we thank you that you forgive us and that you love us and that uh, you are a God of, of mercy and, and redemption and reconciliation. And uh, Lord, I, I would especially pray for those in this, this room today who have felt or even now are failing, are feeling the uh, the, the pain of, of broken marriages, uh, either either in in their lives, Lord, or the lives of others, loved ones. So, Lord, give us your wisdom. Uh, Lord, bring healing, bring reconciliation, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.